I'm excited that you're here today. Because if you weren't, this would be a very lonely place to stand. So I'm glad that you're here. I got to thinking about, over the last couple of weeks, um, what it is to fill in. Uh, Steve Hogg's out of town, visiting family in Kentucky, seeing his mom. Uh, in fact, he texted me a while ago. He's preaching in his home church uh, this morning in Kentucky. And I know they're excited to be there, spending time with family. Did y'all spend some time with family this week? Or maybe it's coming? Yeah. Any of you eat too much? Any of you give gifts and get stuff? Maybe you needed, maybe you didn't. A little bit of both. Now it's getting to be New Year's. Now we start talking about what are we going to do next year? New Year's resolutions. What did, I, what did I achieve this year? What didn't I achieve this year? What's the new year going to be like? And so I started thinking about backups because one of the things that I absolutely love about this time of year, I haven't talked about yet, and it's big time football season. Any of y'all watch football this week? It's getting good now. You can almost watch football from like 8 a.m. until 8 a.m. and just keep on rolling, right, for the college variety. But what the NFL did this year I think was really interesting is they actually made week 17 meaningful. Don't know how they did it, but I think it's the first time in a long time there's been this many games that mattered on the last day of the season, which if you don't know, that is today, okay? But here's what was interesting and captured my attention. Uh, I don't really follow the Dallas Cowboys a whole lot. Uh, any of you big got Tony Romo on your fantasy team? Nobody does that, okay? Not that win or admit it, okay? But Tony, Tony Romo goes down with a back injury last weekend. And a guy that we, we have tracked for a while because he went to our college, small school in Washington, Central Washington University. Guy's name is John Kitna. John Kitna has played 15 years in the NFL. He was basically undrafted. He got a luck of the draw tryout because he knew a guy who knew a guy who knew the coach of the Seahawks. He went over and worked out for him because the scouts didn't have time to look at him, so the head coach said he would, and he got a shot. He was back up. And that was fine. He worked his way through, became a starter, had a good career, very productive. He's 41 years old now, coaching high school football in Tacoma, coaching his son, actually. And... He calls up Jason Garrett. Now, I don't know about you, but I don't really probably have the guts to do this. Retired, been out of the league for a couple of years. Tony Romo goes down, picks up the phone. Hey, Coach Garrett, uh, John Kitna here. If you need me this weekend, week 17, I'll be glad to come and, and, and be your backup. I don't have that kind of guts. They had a little dialogue. John Kitten says, well, you know, I'm a few pounds over my playing weight, but if you need someone who can take a snap and make a handoff in a pinch, I could do it. But most of you probably never heard of him, at least not recently. Well, I thought about, well, who's going to play? Kyle Orton is the new starting quarterback this week for the Cowboys. Well, most of us haven't heard of Kyle Orton, but he was a starter a few years ago. And I started thinking about all of these backups in the NFL. Because I used to think what a cool job it would be to be a backup quarterback in the NFL. Why would that be a cool job? You get paid a really nice check. You go to practice. You wear a red jersey at practice. which They can't hit you. In fact, they can't even touch you. You throw the ball around a little bit. You go to the weight room. You work out. You go watch film. And you get on an airplane, travel around. You do all this stuff. And you get paid a really nice check. And you can't get hurt. Who's ever heard of the backup quarterback getting hurt? I've never heard that story. If you have one, share it with me. 
So not only did I think about the backup, but I thought about the third string guy. Because you know the, the number two guy is one play away, right? But the third string guy, there is no chance he's going to get on the field. But here's what we know about these guys. In fact, I'm going to give you a few names of some current backup quarterbacks in the NFL. I want to know if any of y'all recognize or know any of these guys. Not from college, but from their NFL experience. Any of y'all ever heard of Austin Davis, the backup quarterback for the St. Louis Rams? Big Rams fans out here, okay? I didn't think so. Ryan Nassib is a backup quarterback for the New York Giants behind Eli Manning. I don't think he's going to play much. Scott Tolzien is a backup quarterback for the Packers. Okay, and they're pretty well set. And then the, my favorite, because one, his name is hard to say, but two, he was behind Peyton Manning. And so I'm thinking, if you're Peyton Manning's backup, you don't even need to wear pads to the game. Okay? You just bring your clipboard, your little hand signals, and your flip charts, and you're going to school because you're not playing. Okay? Brock Osweiler is Peyton Manning's backup quarterback. These guys never play. But here's what we also know about them. When they were in high school, they were awesome. Some of them might have been even All-American. They were great quarterbacks in high school. Everybody in their hometown, all their buddies at school is like, man, you're going somewhere. You're awesome. You're going to play in the NFL. You're going to set records. You're going to be better than fill in the blank for your generation. You're going to be incredible. And they're a backup quarterback. They went to college. Because that's kind of how you have to to play in the NFL. You kind of have to go to college. So they go to college. They don't go to school. They just go to college. Some of them. And they were really good. How many great NFL quarterbacks are there that were bad in college? Probably none. We talked about one earlier that was a little bit average in college. So he's kind of good now, Tom Brady. But the reality is if you can't play college football, you're probably not going to get a shot in the NFL, right? So what does this all have to do with it? anything? Well, here's what it has to do with. There are backups for a reason. Because only one guy can play. But here's the other reality. Those guys are backups for now. But if you were to sit down and have a conversation with any one of these guys that we've never heard of, they would tell you their biggest dream is not to be on an NFL roster. It's not to be so-and-so's backup. But they want to play. They want to be in the battle. They want to get in the game. They want to be the guy that it rises and falls on. So they're writing headlines about how horrible Tony Romo is in the last four minutes of the football game, that that's about them. Of course, they want to tell the story a different way because Tony's won a fair share of his games too. But when it comes down to it, none of those guys are backups and content in their backup role. Okay? They're not satisfied. They want to play. They want to get in the game. Well, when we look at this from our perspective, I'm going to take it off the football field and now talk about the Christian life. As a Christian, there's no backup Christians. There's no second string. And we're going to look at that today of what, what, how God really sees us, what our role is, what our function is, and what He desires of us in our relationship with Him and what that means for how we operate. Because if your expectation as a believer is that I'm the backup, I'm content, that's all I'm ever going to be, I'll carry the clipboard, stay in the background. I'm never going to take a shot. No one's going to ever have a problem with what I do because I'm just going to sit back and watch. You're not fulfilling the role that God has for you as a believer. So that's what we're going to look at today. So turn in your Bible 
or pad or app or 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 however you can find it Ephesians chapter 1 verse 15 is where we're going to be and if you wouldn't mind stand together uh, in honor of reading God's word we're going to read verse 15 through 23 together and then we're going to dig in uh, to a few of these key ideas Ephesians 1, 15 through 23 says, For this reason I too, having heard of the faith in the Lord Jesus which exists among you and your love for all the saints, do not cease giving thanks for you while making mention of you in my prayer, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may he give you a spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of him. I pray that the eyes of your heart will be, made, will be enlightened so that you will know what is the hope of his calling, the riches of his glory, of his inheritance in the saints, and what's the surpassing greatness of his power toward us who believe. These are in accordance with the working of the strength of his might, which he brought about in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion, and every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the one to come. And he put all things in subjection under his feet and gave him his head over all things to the church, which is his body the fullness of him, of, of him who fills all and all. You be seated. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for your word, that today that you would speak clearly to us, speak to our heart, that we would see uh, who we are in you, that we would know you, that we would want to grow in that relationship, that we would understand the hope we have in you, and that we would also see the power that you have for our lives. In Jesus' name, amen. A little bit of background on this passage. There are two kinds of Christians in, in Ephesus. It's really highly technical stuff. There were the Jewish Christians, those who came to faith in Christ from a Jewish background, and those who were Gentile Christians, those who were not Jewish, who came to faith in Christ. What's interesting in that culture, though, is that there was a superiority or an inferiority complex between those two groups of people. The Jewish Christians thought they were a little more spiritual and they were kind of a step above. And the Gentile Christians kind of knew their place and they were the second tier, second level Christian. They were still Christians, but they looked to the Jewish Christians to be out front. Those were the leaders. Those were, those were the chosen people of God after all. And so they kind of had a second tier view of themselves and their role in the kingdom and what they were going to do. Well, Paul was a Jewish Christian. And as a Jewish Christian, Paul wanted to encourage these Gentile believers in their faith and in who they are in Christ. And so he wrote them this great letter. And in this letter, there's two, two distinct prayers, this being the first one. But these guys were, as believers, continued to put themselves in a second-class state, something that's not designed for a Christian because of our relationship with, with Christ. See, he reminds them in the first 14 verses, Paul does, he reminds them as believers all the blessings that God has already given to them. And just to name a few, he told them that they were blessed. Okay, that's pretty good. He said to them that they were chosen, so you were handpicked by God. He told them that they were adopted. This wasn't an accident, but he actually came down and chose you and adopted you into his family. He told them they were redeemed. The price had been paid. He said that they were forgiven of every sin, past, present, and future. They have been forgiven. And he gave them full assurance in the hope and future glory in heaven with God. So he had to remind them of these things because they kept looking at themselves as 
a lesser Christian. And there's no such thing. There's no second team Christians. So there's four levels of spiritual connection we're going to look at in here. And they all build on each other. When we specifically look from verse 17 through 19, we'll see four kind of phases or steps or building blocks of this relationship with Christ that we have that Paul's trying to encourage these, these Gentile Ephesian believers with. One is to know God. And we're going to talk about that, what it is to really know God. Second is to know God's hope, our heavenly hope, the hope of His calling on, the, on each believer's life. The third we're going to look at is to know God's riches. This is going to be really important that you pay attention to. So we talk about the God's riches, we're going to talk about what God's inheritance is. You think, well, what does He need? He's in heaven. He has everything. We're going to talk about uh, one thing that he's looking forward to. And then we're going to know God's power. We need to know God's power because without God's power, everything we do is feeble. And we will accomplish little to nothing for the sake of the kingdom of God aside from his power. So those four things are critical, but they build on each other. So we're going to talk about knowing God. Verse 17, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you a spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of him. There's three different ways we can look at this word for knowing. You can know something by just being aware. I'm aware there's a tree in the back of the room. Okay? You can be aware. You can know something by experience. Maybe you know what it's like to be hit blindsided as a quarterback because maybe you did that one time in your life and you've had that experience. But the kind of knowing of God that we're talking about here is to have the most intimate, thorough knowledge possible. It is an in-depth, intimate, heart-to-heart connected knowing of God. And that's what we strive for, or need to be striving for as believers. Kind of give you an illustration like this. My family, two, my youngest two sons, my wife and I, we went and rang the bell for Salvation Army on the 23rd. We were out front of Harris Teeter. Did you know that Harris Teeter's kind of busy the day before Christmas Eve? And we were there from 3 to 5, and, and you probably know we were there because most of you, I think, came through Harris Teeter. We saw a lot of familiar faces. But some of those familiar faces we saw, and we went, that, that person looks familiar. I've seen them before. And maybe we kind of knew you because you waved, and we went, we must know them because they know us. And so we, we kind of had a familiarity. And then there were some other people who came by that we, we knew. We knew them better. We've had shared experiences. Maybe it was people who had uh, our kids have been on the same sports team with, or we'd coached together. Or maybe it was people here at the church that, that we knew well because we'd have some sort of a, of a ministry experience together, or we served together, something like that. And so we had those kind of experiences. And then I was there with my family, with my wife of 20 a lot of years, Two of my kids who have never known a day apart from us. And so our relationship is deep, it is intimate, and I know almost what they're thinking before they think it. Our relationship is deep and it is intimate and it is personal. That's the kind of relationship and really another step beyond that that God is looking for with us. So Paul is telling these Gentile believers to know God, know Him in such an intimate level, in personal level, that nothing could ever shake it. That the better we know Him, the more satisfying our spiritual lives will be. 
So then he says the second thing is to know God's hope. So what is this hope that we need to know? This hope of his calling. We've been called or called out or set apart. The church, believers, the body of believers has been called and set apart, set apart differently by God for divine purposes and for divine relationships. And in that, we have a hope in that calling. Ultimately, it's our hope of heaven. So when you read Revelation and you read the description of what heaven is like, and we know that God has gone ahead of us to prepare a place for you, we have hope in that. So if 2013 wasn't all that great a year for you, maybe there was tragedy, difficulty, struggle, and and heartache this year, and you can't wait for 2014 to get here to put that all behind you, no matter what happens in 2014, whether it's better or not, doesn't really matter because your eternal hope is so significant that has got to bring us peace as we know and understand that. It brings peace to our heart and to our life because eternity is so much longer so much better and so much greater than our temporary circumstances. Whether it's a year, 10, 20, 30, 40, it's very temporary to what eternity will be. So we have hope in the return of Christ and we have hope in God's Word. Because if God's Word's not true, we really don't have any hope. We need to understand that. But if God's Word is true, and we believe that it is, and as it is, that we have incredible hope in Christ because of what the Word of God says. So the better we know Him, the better we know His Word, the better we will understand the hope we have in the calling we have as believers. It's really an incredible process that's being built here. Too many times we live in the world of we hope so. Well, I really hope that happens. Well, I really would like that to, to be the case. I, I hope, I hope, I hope, I hope. But we don't have hope. Hope is confident. Hope is assured. Hope is guaranteed when it's hope in Christ. Hope in eternity and hope in that relationship. Then there's God's riches. This is where things kind of turn sideways. See, back in verse 11, which I'd have to flip back to here. Ephesians 1.11 says that in Him we were also made His inheritance. So what doesn't God have today? In heaven, He has the kingdom, right? He doesn't have you yet. He doesn't have me yet. We have a relationship with him, yes, yeah, so he has us in that way, but we are not residing with him in heaven at his side the way we will be one day in eternity. And so he has this great inheritance is us. It's those who believe. I think that's the most incredible thing, one of the most incredible things, just to realize that how much God loves you and looks forward to fellowshipping with us is that we are his inheritance. He's looking forward to that like more so than any treasure, anything you would ever get as a, a, a heirloom or something passed down from generations in your family. He looks forward to that kind of fellowship with us you know, when we go to be with him in glory. It's unbelievable. A couple of examples of how God deals with us. He deals with us based on how he sees us we have to understand that how he sees us is not where we've been or where we are. Two examples, Gideon is one of them. In Judges chapter 6, verse 12, it says, The angel of the Lord appeared to him and said to him, The Lord is with you, O valiant warrior. Okay, 
may not make a big deal. You may know the story of Gideon and how he fought battles and, and won and he had a small army and he overcame great odds and he was a great leader and general and all of these great things that God did through him. But here's what's really interesting. This angel of the Lord came to Gideon before he ever went to battle. Before he ever took his army to the first fight. He came to him and said, I see you how you're going to be. Oh, valiant warrior. You are a warrior now. You just haven't experienced your warriorhood yet. So he, God saw him as he was going to be, not how he was, not how he is today, and not how he was in history, but he saw him and what he was to become through God's power. I think that's pretty awesome. Just like he did with Simon Peter. See, the first time Simon Peter meets Jesus, his brother brings him, introduces him to him, and Jesus looked at him and said, you're Simon, the son of John. You'll be called Cephas, which is translated Peter, which we get the rock. You are the rock that I will build my church, is said later, but Jesus just met him. He hasn't even come to faith in Christ yet. He just got introduced to him. And Jesus looked at him and said, I'm going to build my church on you. What are you talking about? Don't you know me? Haven't you seen who I am? Haven't you seen what I've done? Haven't you seen how weak I am? Haven't you seen? Why would you choose me to do that? He said, this is how I see you in the future. This is who you will become. So when we sit back and God challenges us to do something, some form of ministry, some type of serving, something that might be outside your comfort zone, and you go, well, wait a minute. God, come on, really? You know me. You know how I am now. You know where I've been. You know what I've done. You know the sin in my life. You know where I haven't submitted to you. And he says, yeah, but that's not what I see. Valiant warrior. The rock. I see you how I see you in the future. If you will trust me, I will be with you and we will accomplish great things together. In fact, I'm going to do it and you're going to be the tool that I use to work through. How amazing is it that the God of the universe chooses to work through imperfect, weak flesh and blood like you and I? How incredible is that? Does he need us? No. Does he want to work in our lives? Absolutely. Does he want to work in our lives into the lives of other people? Definitely. And so he sees us who we're going to be, not who we, who we are. And that's the riches that we are. You see, God doesn't inherit the Gideon who wasn't a valiant warrior. He doesn't inherit the Gideon who was whatever Gideon was beforehand. He inherits a Gideon who submitted and who did and who accomplished much because of the power of God in his life. That's who, who is inherited in the kingdom of God. So we need to know God, a deep, personal, intimate relationship with him. We need to know the hope of his calling, which has a whole lot to do with knowing our place in heaven and that it's secure. We need to understand that we are God's inheritance. The riches that God has is in us, created in his image for fellowship with him throughout eternity. And then we have to understand God's power. 
in verse 19. I'll flip back to that too. Verse 19. First part says, And what is the surpassing greatness of his power toward us who believe? Just on that part alone. There's a number of words uh, in the Greek language that are used to identify with the word power that in this passage. Uh, without getting into the Greek part of that, the power has to do with power like the dynamite power, the power of explosive power. It has to do with energy, uh, a consistent, persistent energy, which, which the best analogy I could think of in, in our community, we have a lot of nuclear power here. Very consistent source of energy. There may be something better. But it is a very consistent source of energy that, that it doesn't waver. And we continually have that. It, it's his mighty power. It's this eternal power. It's a divine, dynamic, eternal energy that is available to us to, who believe. Divine, dynamic. So it's divine. It's of God. It's dynamic. It's on the move. It's active. It's not passive. It's an active energy. And it's an eternal energy. So it has no end point. It has no diminishing return. Um, it, it is consistent. And it, its power is so consistent throughout the whole process. And it's available to us that believe. So what kind of power is that? What, what is this kind of power that would, that would be like this? The rest of that passage, I won't read the whole thing, but from the second half of verse 19, it says... These are in accordance with the working of the strength of his might, which he brought about in Christ when he raised him from the dead. The kind of power that we have access to as believers is the kind of power that raised Jesus Christ from the dead. I don't know about you, but have you met anybody lately who's been raised from the dead apart from Christ? I haven't. We haven't come up with a technology that can do that. I'm glad. I don't think we ever will. But the power of God is sufficient to raise Jesus, the man, from the dead. That's pretty powerful stuff. If he's that powerful and that power is available to you and I, then what exactly is our excuse? What exactly are we limited by? When God calls us to serve and to minister and to do, do things for the glory of God, to advance the kingdom of God, what exactly holds back that power from being used? It's not because the power is insufficient, but maybe it's the vessel. Maybe it's our willingness. Maybe it's our lack of understanding through our relationship with God, how much he loves us, how much he wants to see us win, which by the way, the battle's already been won. He wants to see us pilot the winning drive, whether we're the backup quarterback, the starting quarterback, or never played quarterback. He wants to use us in such a way to bring such incredible glory to him that lives are changed and people see him through us in impacting their own lives. Just really pretty simple. Do you know Christ? Because if you don't have a personal relationship with Christ, that power that I talked about, it's not available to you. If you don't have a personal relationship with Christ, that, that new name, that valiant warrior, that ability to, to, to say, you're my rock, that's not there yet. That hope, that heavenly calling, that hope for the calling that, that God has for us, 
There isn't that kind of hope. But there's an opportunity for a relationship. And, and that's what God wants more than anything is that begins with that personal relationship between you and him, him and I, and each one of us with him. So you do, do you know that hope? Maybe you have a relationship with Christ, but you've kind of been living hopelessly. Uh, and you haven't really received the hope that God has for you in your life. Maybe that's something you need to, to pray about today. Maybe take some steps of action. And then do you realize how precious you are to God? Do you realize that no matter your circumstances, whether they're great or not, that in your circumstances, God sees you exceedingly and abundantly more and better than what you could imagine? I don't think Gideon saw himself as a valiant warrior when that angel of God came and told him what named him and told him that he was a valiant warrior. I don't think he saw that. And then what about his power? The freedom that comes knowing that you have hope and that you have that power of God living and resting in your life should free us up to do whatever it is that God calls us to without reservation because it's him, not us. It's his work, not our work. We're just available to work with him. So I hope today as you think about that and you begin to pray about your relationship, hope, that power, and who you, how God sees you, in that eternal place, that, that you'll just wrestle with that a little bit. That you'll let God speak to you in a way that will help change you and shape you. So I want to ask you to stand. We're going to pray, and uh, Will's going to come and lead us in a song. Well, let's pray together. Lord, I thank you for your word. That because of your word, we can know these things and know them without a shadow of a doubt. That we can know you personally and intimately. That we can know the hope of your calling. That we can know just who we are to you. The inheritance that you see us as. And what a precious, precious reality that is. And Lord, that we can know your power through our lives for the good of the kingdom. Lord, I pray today as we contemplate these things and we pray through them that, that beyond nothing else, that, that there wouldn't be anybody in this room who would leave believing or thinking that there's some sort of a second string Christian. Those don't exist because you have created a way where there's no need to sit on the sidelines. Everybody can play. Everybody has a place. Everybody has a role that in knowing you, you've placed a call in our life through that relationship that matters in all of eternity. Lord, I pray also that those who, who might not know you and they're maybe hearing some of these things for the very first time, that today would be the day that that changes. What better way to start a new year than with a relationship with the eternal God of the universe? Lord, thank you for today. I pray that those who need to come would come and those that need to pray would pray. In Jesus' name.